you begin this morning, I want to share with you two stories, and here is how the first one goes. Uh, it says, there was a rich man who was quite distressed over the prospect of not being able to take his riches with him when he died. So before he died, he loaded his briefcase with two gold bars from his private vault and left instructions to have the case locked with a key, handcuffed to his wrist, and the key placed into his grave clothes at his funeral. His family carried out his orders correctly to the letter, and when he appeared at the pearly gates, he had the briefcase with him, key in hand. St. Peter asked, what do you have in your suitcase? Very proudly, the man unlocked the case, opened it, and displayed his two gold bars. St. Peter said, isn't that special? You brought pavement. <laughs> now, some of you are like, why? I don't know why it's not funny. Uh, in Revelation 21, there's a passage about uh, streets being paved with gold. And so we'll contrast that one with this one, which I guarantee all of us will hopefully laugh at. It says this, a man died and went to heaven. He is at the pearly gates by St. Peter. Now, I just want to pause and clarify that when you die, there is not a pearly gates that St. Peter is standing next to, because there's two stories that said that. So anyway, that's not a thing, but let's just, for the sake of argument, pretend it is. He dies, goes to heaven, so he meets uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates, who led him down the golden streets. They, uh, they walked by mansion after beautiful estates, until they came to the end of the road, where they stopped in front of a little shack. The man asked St. Peter why he got a simple hut when there were so many mansions where he would be more comfortable. St. Peter replied, I did the best with the money you sent us. <laughs> now here's the thing with those stories. I think if we're honest, when we think about money, especially when it comes to God, I think we're more likely to think of the first story, right? Well, or sorry, the second story. Well, we kind of assume that God kind of needs our money, and, and if we're not faithful, we don't give, then he's going to withhold from us. And so we've got to give him our money. We've got to be generous or else. Uh, the reality is, if we're being honest, it's God's kind of view of money uh, or how he deals with money is more like the first one in the sense that he doesn't need it. Uh, money is a thing that we kind of have made for transactional purposes, and of course, uh, he certainly uses it, but he's not a God that's asking for money because he doesn't have enough. Uh, and so today, as we close our series, New Year, Same Year, uh, Same You, uh, looking at how if we want this year to feel different than last year, we have to do maybe some things differently than we did last year. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about money. Now, um, if you're new with us, or if you're watching online for the first time, you're like, great, I finally decided to check the church out, and they're talking about money. Isn't this awesome? Um, I, I just want to say this. Uh, unfortunately, for some reason in the church, money is sometimes like this taboo subject, which it shouldn't be. Uh, it's not weird. It's not awkward. Uh, Jesus talked about resources and, and money more than he talked about anything else. Again, it's not because God needs it, but because it profoundly shapes our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so it's important. We all deal with it. And so we should want to know how can we use it in a way that's beneficial instead of a way that is enslaving to us. Now, as I begin, um, I do want to uh, point out two things. I think New City Church in particular uh, has two uh, core strengths. One um, is our community. So if you're part of New City Church, I think you would agree that that is true for you. Uh, people care about each other well uh, at this church, and so it is a strength of ours. Um, another strength of our church is our generosity. Uh, ever since the beginning, New City is turning four in April, which is crazy to me. Um, this church has always been well, way above average when it comes to generosity. And I thought when we started, it's because you're a new church and people are like excited about, you know, this new thing and helping it, you know, kind of get started. Um, but that hasn't changed at all. In fact, as we'll see at the end of the service, I'll give you guys a financial update of our church. Uh, we're going to see that even last year, the difficulty of 2020, you guys were continually 
uh, generous. And so today, again, this is not a you need to be more generous or you need to be better with your money or else. I, I hope more than anything, this is just an encouragement to continue on the path that many of you are on and to continue to take steps of faithfulness. And so today we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, uh, you can flip there. If you don't have a, a Bible or an app on your phone, there's a black one somewhere around you. Uh, you can turn to page 860. Uh, we're going to be looking at a well-known passage of Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, this is, the begin or this is in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And Jesus is essentially talking about what the kingdom of God is like, um, what it looks like to be faithful to him and to love others well. And he says a lot of intense things in the Sermon on the Mount. He says things like, he, or for example, he compares uh, lust with adultery. Or murder with anger, just because you haven't committed adultery or just because you haven't murdered anybody, right? our hearts still matter, our motivations still matter to God. And of course, now that he's talking about money in this section, we're going to see that that is still the case. And so in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, here's what he says. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, what he's saying here is that things on earth don't last forever. Right? We all know that, but then I think the part of us wishes that we could take things with you, kind of like the story I shared. I don't know if you thought this way when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, you know, I kind of had this picture of heaven that is like kind of boring, and you just kind of sing songs all the time. That's kind of boring, if I'm being honest. Like, who really wants to do that? Of course, it's a very short-sighted view of what the kingdom of God is like, but I remember when we got our first video game system, the Super Nintendo, when I was a kid, and I thought, obviously, it was the greatest thing ever, and so I always was hoping that if I died, I don't know why I was thinking about this as like a seven-year-old, but if I died, uh, somebody would put the video game system and a video game in my casket. And that somehow that would magically mean that when I go to heaven, Nintendo, Super Nintendo is with me, right? Uh, that does not happen. So sorry to Brewster Bubble. That's what he's saying here. Uh, these things that we can accumulate don't last forever. However, in verse 20 where he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, he implies um, the, that we have a choice. That you and I have a choice when it comes to ha how we handle our money and our resources uh, to make maybe an eternal difference or impact or just a temporal one. And I think... Uh, it's important for us to remember this because I think we forget. Like, I think we forget that we can actually determine what we spend our money on, right? Because in our culture today, there's a lot of things that we want and we can buy. And so we kind of assume, uh, for example, that we have to buy certain things, right? Like, it's just assumed um, that you have to have a car payment. Right? Or it's just assumed that you have to buy new clothes every so often. Or it's just assumed, even though we get frustrated at all the streaming services options, well, you have to buy them because you've got to watch all the shows. Right? There's a lot of things that we buy that we don't really think about. We just assume that we, has to ha we have to have them because that is what everybody does. Uh, what Jesus is encouraging us to do instead, when it comes to our money and our resources, is not just to do, but to actually think about what we're doing before we purchase them. And here is why we should think about what we're doing and not just kind of go with the flow. Verse 21, here's what he says. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But where your money and your resources and your treasure are, your heart will be also. Now, a heart today for us is kind of synonymous with emotions and love, right? We tell people, like, we, we love people with all of our hearts. Now, we know that that's not true. It's our brain. 
But of course, that's not romantic to say, baby, I love you with all my brain. Like, it's just, these, neur these neurons are just firing right now. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. But we don't do that, right? We talk about our heart. That's synonymous with our emotions and kind of, uh, and our rationality and our logic is kind of separated when we talk about these things. Um, in the ancient world, the heart was synonymous for everything. So not just your emotions, but your intellect and your will. In other words, it was your center of being. Your reasons, your wills, your emotions, these all matter. This is what your heart encapsulates. And so your treasure impacts all of these things. In other words, what he's saying here is that we don't think our way to faithfulness. We act our way to faithfulness. Right? It's not what we think about or it's not what our desires are or it's not even what our intentions are. It's what we actually do, particularly with our resources, that determines where our heart actually is. This is why if you were here last week when we talked about spiritual practices – uh, we talked a lot about how, how they're important and how we want to set simple rhythms because when we engage in these things, eventually it changes our hearts. And so when it comes to our money, this is what it means for us. That what you do with your money determines how you think about money. What you actually end up doing with your money determines what you actually think about money. Here's the reality of the situation, right? We justify everything we do. Right? Money or otherwise. Right? We like to think, especially in our 21st, Western, 21st century Western post-enlightenment society, that we're very rational and logical. And, of course, that could not be further from the, church, or the truth. And we all know this, right? Even with our money. How often do you buy something in the moment because you really want it? And then after the fact, you're thinking about all these reasons why it's okay that you did it. Right? It's like, well, I probably shouldn't have done it, but you know, it was a hard day. It was a hard week. And I really, really want this. And I just want to treat myself. And so we justify everything that we do. And so especially when it comes to our resources and our money, if we just go about kind of spending our money and doing things and not thinking about it, what we actually do with our money will change our hearts and our minds and what we are actually um, after. And so we must ask ourselves, again, in this series, we talked about relationships and community the first week, which is like we're something we're supposed to do right as Christians and if you're a follower of Christ. And so we were trying to make it practical. Last week we talked about spiritual practices and it's like what you're supposed to do. And so again, we try to make it practical. And the same is true for us today. Uh, here's the question that we ought to think about. Uh, what financial decisions do you justify? What financial decisions do you justify? Or do you not think about until the bill comes in and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't do this, but it's like, it's, or it's too late or I've already bought it or I have to do this. What in your life so we don't just kind of read this passage and be like, yeah, that's good. You know, we should think about how we handle our money. Like practically in your life, what uh, financial decisions do you justify? Because, again, we all do it. We buy and we justify it. I remember when I was a kid, when I was uh, in middle school, when I was growing up, uh, my parents gave me and my two brothers an allowance. And so we, we got cash every week. We had this, like, folder. It was, like, money we could spend and then, like, generosity and, like, long-term savings and, like, our tithe. And I remember growing up, when all my friends' parents would hear about this sometimes, they'd be like, wow, that's a lot of money that you give your kids, especially when there's three of us. And I always thought as a kid that was funny uh, because I was like, yeah, you think that, but every time your kid wants to do something, you give them like a $20 bill. Actually, my parents give us way less money. And so it was hard growing up, though, because what, what that meant was is that, that we couldn't spend our money on anything unless we actually had it. I remember when I was... I think in middle school, I wanted to buy this football video game, and I saved up for I don't know how long, and it was like $30 or $40, and I was like 57 cents short. And my dad, it was like eBay was kind of this new thing, and so we were going to buy it online, and he wouldn't let me buy it because I didn't have 57 cents. So I'm like, 
Can I have 57 cents? He's like, no, you can't. And so what I did, I was like, well, let me go search the house for 57 cents. And so I immediately went upstairs into his bedroom. It's my parents' bedroom because in his uh, dresser, he had this coin jar. Took the 57 cents out and then sat in my room for 10 minutes as I looked for change. <laughs> Came down and lo and behold, I had 57 cents, right? And so it was good, right? So I was taught how to handle money. But even then, <laughs> even then, <laughs> I don't do that now. I don't spend that promise. But even then, so I'm in middle school at this point, and I'm a pretty good kid. I didn't do anything crazy, and I didn't get to do some of the things my friends did because if I had the money, I couldn't pay for it. And it was a summer. There was like a shopping center like three-fourths of a mile from my house. And so every day, me and some of my friends were going to Rubino's Pizza for lunch. I was someone who didn't spend a lot of money either. I always saved it. And so pretty soon, all of my spending money was gone. And But you know what wasn't gone? My tithing money. It was just in the back of the little folder there. And so I started taking that tithing money until it ran out. And one day my dad noticed that my tithing money was gone. He's like, Dylan, what did you do with it? And I lied and I said I gave it to the church. And he was like, well, next time, let me know before you did that. And what happened there? Right? I, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I'm like, I'm a good kid. I don't get to do some of the things that my friends get to do. And so it is okay. Now, uh, of course, God is up, was looking down and be like, oh, you think this is funny? Okay. How about being a pastor? How's that sound for you, right? You're going to pay me back for this. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not how God works. And I enjoy what I do. That's a joke, right? But what happened right there, I knew I was wrong, but I wasn't thinking. I was justifying, and my heart was being shaped and changed by that decision. So again, think about 2020 for you. 2020 was hard. It was difficult. And so I'm not downplaying that at all. But maybe what financial habits did you, good ones that you kind of abandoned, or bad ones that you picked up last year? Uh, not because you're really thinking clearly, but because it was hard and you just wanted to do things to make yourself feel better or to get through it. And of course, there are certainly times and places where we should use our resources um, to those ends. But we have to be thinking about them intentionally and not just justifying it after the fact. That is what Jesus is getting at. And so he continues in verse 22 by saying this. He's now going to give some examples. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? In other words, if we're not kind of consciously thinking about how we handle our resources, it will shape our hearts in such a way to impact us in a lot of negative ways. Now, again, if you compound this, if we talk about how difficult last year was, it can make things even more difficult and works, right? So we have to be intentional about our resources because it shapes us in very profound ways. And then he says this in verse 24. He says, no one, here's why we should be conscious about our resources and what we do with them, because no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or literally speaking, he said that you cannot be a servant of two Masters. Now, to be clear, this is not saying that money is bad or that you can't have it. But what Jesus is saying is that you have to choose what is more important. It's like you can't have these things, but you have to choose what is the most important thing in your life. And here's the reality. You and I, money or otherwise, we always choose the things that we think we need the most. Right? And financial security and things are what we want the most, and that is what we're going to Pursue, And so what we need to understand and know is that money isn't your greatest need, right? If we think resources and accumulation and stuff is what's going to satisfy us and makes us happy, then we'll make decisions to that end. But if we understand and realize that money isn't actually your greatest need, 
then, then you'll use it in, in healthy ways, but it won't captivate your heart like it can so easily if we're not intentional. And I think that this is Jesus' point, right? It's not that money isn't a need. And that you don't need it for things, but it's just not your greatest need. And if you get, if you misunderstand what your greatest need is, then you'll live in such a way um, that will kind of be less than what it could be. Let me just make it, maybe make this practical for you. Now, this example I'm going to give, I'll grant you, is stereotypical and traditional. And so just, but just work with me for a second as I give this example. Let's talk about marriage, right? Traditionally, men kind of go into marriage thinking that I need to provide for my wife, right? And I need to provide for my wife and for my family. And in fact, I, I would even take a bullet for my wife. Like, I would lay down my, my wife, my wife, my life <laughs> for my wife. Not the other way around. Right? So I'll provide, and if something really bad happens, I'll protect. Right? And so we go, you know, you go in, you're thinking, if that is what my wife's greatest need is, then everything will be fine. Now, we know that that can't be true because there's plenty of examples of men who provided for their families, but then their marriages deteriorated and they fell apart. Why? Because your wife's greatest need, I would argue, is not that you provide for her and everything that she needs. I would submit to you that your wife's greatest need is for you to help. Okay? Amen? Okay, I heard amen there. What this means is your wife wants you to vacuum the house. She wants you to take out the trash. She wants you to do the dishes. Right? She wants you to watch the kids so she can have a night off with her friends. Okay, there we go. It's okay to say, right, your wife's greatest need is not financial provision. She just wants you to help, right? So let me just let me just give you a tip here, guys. Like when I grab the vacuum and bring it down the stairs, you know what I see? I see a twinkle on my wife's eye. You know what she's thinking? She's thinking, you vacuum that carpet, you bad man, you. And that's what she's thinking, right? When she hears me open the dishwasher and I'm putting the dishes away, she's like, that's right. But when, I, when we got married, all my dreams are coming true right now. A man that does the dishes, praise the Lord, hallelujah, right? And you think, if you think I'm joking, men, next time you get in an argument with your spouse, uh, go and just leave the room and just turn on the vacuum. Right? She might reconsider. She might be like, okay, this ain't as bad as I thought. Right? Or bonus tip. Right? Bonus tip. Go get her car washed, right? I mean, you want to talk about chore play? Get your wife's car washed without her asking, right? You, okay, I'm just saying. I'm just giving you free advice right here. What are we talking about? We're talking about money. Now, here's the point. If you understand your wife's greatest need, your marriage might go better. It's not that provision is a bad thing, but your wife wants you to help her around the house. She's not doing everything in the same way it's true with our money. Money isn't our greatest need, and if we think it is, then we'll orient our lives in a way that is less than the what God might want for us. And so Jesus gives us another example in verse 25 to remind us of these things, that God cares for us. It says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or weep or, or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worry? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers in the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you you of little faith. So what Jesus is saying here is not to be anxious. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done. That's, of course, that is easier said than done. But the point here is that if God cares for the birds and the fields, or that was just kind of a, a uh, maybe a metaphor, if you will, for all of creation. If God cares for all of creation, 
how much more does he care for us, right? The pinnacle of his creation. And now the question then becomes this for us, is that do we trust God to provide or not? Now, again, this doesn't mean that everything that you want is going to happen and you're going to get all the things that you really want or save up for and everything's going to go well for you. But the question is, do we trust God or not? And the reality is we all have to trust something. God, money, resources, jobs, relationships, whatever it is, we all have to choose we have to trust. But at the end of the day, following Jesus does involve trust. Like, I think we got to be honest that sometimes it's difficult. Now, I heard recently somebody kind of differentiate between trust and faith like this. I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounded good to me. Uh, they talked about trust as the belief that someone will come through. In other words, uh, you're not sure you're in a new situation. You're not per sure, for example, this person is going to come through. But you know their character, and so you trust them, right? You trust that they're going to come through. Now, what's interesting is that throughout Scripture, we're not just commanded to trust Jesus or trust God. We're commanded to have faith. And faith can be explained this way. Faith is trust with experience. Faith is that, I've tr God, I'm going to trust you. I've, I've seen in the past how you've provided, how you've moved in ways uh, that were greater than I could imagine. And so even as I faced other difficult moments in my life, or even as I faced even more difficult moments in my life that might require even more faith, I'm going to trust you because I've experienced that you are good. And it's just interesting if you read the New Testament that we're never called to a blind faith. Like, the disciples were not called to a blind faith, just like, don't look, don't think, just do whatever I say to do. We were called to see and experience that God is good. The disciples tasted and saw and experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus invites them to follow him, not out of this blind faith, but knowing that he is good and trusting him as they take steps. And so for you and for me, especially when it comes to our financial resources in a difficult time like a pandemic, faith is trust and experience. And so there's no way around this, right? There's no way around uh, whether or not we're going to trust God. Right? We have to choose. All of us have to choose. And my belief is this, that part of my anxiety is whether or not we trust God. And if you think about the moments in your life if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, your anxiety level, particularly around resources, probably fluctuates with the seasons of trust and less trust. Right? Not to say you're not a follower of Jesus, but in the seasons of life, even when it's hard, where you are having faith and you are trusting God, your anxiety level is probably lower. And when you're letting your worry and, and, and anxiety get the better of you, your trust in God is probably waning. And so he's encouraging us and reminding us to trust him. Because as, as easy as it, as it sounds not to have anxiety, right? It's, it's a hard thing to do. But the way we combat it is by trusting a God who actually cares for us. And so he continues by saying this in verse 31. And so, because we know that God cares, he says, Don't worry, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, where in this context for those who are non-believers, essentially, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough, tr has enough trouble on its own. Of course, he's not saying don't work hard and don't try to provide and don't plan and don't budget. But he's saying at the end of the day, do these things, but trust me. And I think this is a good truth here. He says, be faithful today and trust me with tomorrow. Right? And this is powerful if you can get to a place where you can actually do this. Right? Trusting God today and, or, or being faithful today and trusting God tomorrow dramatically will uh, uh, kind of lower our anxiety level around finances if we can do this. 
I'll just be honest with you, right? This is something that I've had to do, right? I mean, pandemic hit in 2020, like many of you nervous about job situation. I mean, in New City Church, we moved into this building the week before it hit. And so I'm thinking, how are we going to afford this building? Am I going to have to get another job? Like, what am I going to have to do? What's our family going to have to do? And the days that I was like, God, I'm going to trust you today. And whatever happens tomorrow, we'll face it, uh, were the days that I was better than the days that I was just thinking about all these emergency scenarios of how to fix a problem that had not yet occurred, right? Trust God or be faithful today and trust God tomorrow. Now, it's important for us to understand this and remind us, especially when it comes to our resources, because here's what we also need to understand. It's not that we treasure, but what we treasure that matters. See, in our, in our lives today, we all treasure things. So this isn't like... Uh, maybe an Eastern religious idea of like uh, take all desire out of your body and don't have any desire or wants. It's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not that we treasure things. Or it's, it's what we treasure that matters. All of us treasure things. All of us have things that we want. Again, it's about orienting our hearts, about pursuing the right things. And so again, if we're talking about this year and wanting this year to be different, even though our circumstances probably have not changed, in the last month since 2020 came in, uh, we have to think this, right? If you want 2021 to be different, the question is how do we orient our hearts in a way to be faithful and to encourage us and to have less anxiety, even if financially we have a lot of questions right now or we have a lot of worries? How do we do this? Well, here's how we do this. Again, we'll look at this last verse, verse 21 that we read earlier. I really think this is kind of the crux of all Jesus was trying to say. Again, in verse 21, here's what Jesus says. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? If we want to have a better uh, relationship and understanding of our finances, then we have to orient, reorient our hearts. And how do we reorient our hearts? Well, we, we, we reorient our hearts by changing what we actually practically do with our money. See, verse 21 here shows us two things. It tells us that our intentions don't matter. It doesn't matter what we want to do. And it shows us that our hearts follow our money. Our money does not follow our heart. So what we actually do with our resources changes our hearts. It's not what we want to do or what we wish we did. What we actually do changes our hearts. And here is the reality. And this is not a Christian thing. This is just a thing. right? It's it, that what we spend our money on reveals what is most important to us. Right? What we spend our money on reveals what is most important to us. And so think of the things that you spend your money on most. right? Probably a place to live. Um, your cell phone bill, that gets pretty expensive nowadays, transportation, food, and this is not, a, these are things we spend a lot of money on because they are big needs for us in the day and age we live today. And so maybe another way to look at it is like this, after the necessities, after the things that you have to have to survive and, and to live a functional life, where do you spend your money on, right? That shows us what we actually care about. Right? Do we overspend on necessities, or what about our hobbies, or going out to eat, or coffee, or various things? And, and I would say that's not bad. It's not a bad thing to use your resources to enjoy God's creation. But here's what I would submit to you. In light of everything that we read in this passage, and as we're talking about money, and maybe wanting this year to be different than last year, I would submit to you this. That if you want to have a better and less anxious relationship with money this year, you should be more generous. If you actually want to have a better relationship with money, if you want your heart to be bent and oriented in a way that honors God and is good for your soul, you should actually be more generous. Now, to be clear, this is not a ploy to give you to get you to give more money to the to New City Church for the sake of New City. Uh, says often, I do not care about your money. I could care less. I couldn't care less. There you go about your money. But here's reality: I care about your heart. 
Right? This is why Jesus talks about resources so much. Not because he needs our resources, but because he cares about our hearts and our treasure reorients our heart. As we said last week, I, I, people can disagree on this, but as your pastor, if you call New City Church home, I will tell you that you do not have to give 10% of your gross income to the church to be faithful and generous. You don't have to do that. But what you should do is you should take steps of generosity. You don't even have to give all of your uh, charitable giving to the church. There's a lot of great things in our communities that are happening that I would encourage you to give to. This is not about New City getting more money for the sake of New City. This is about our hearts. And if we want to have a better relationship with money, we ought to grow in our generosity. And so again, to make this practical, here's what I want to do. I want to give you uh, three options or three ways uh, that you could take steps of generosity this year for your own soul and for your own heart and for your own relationship with Jesus to see and experience him more than you and I might be experiencing him now. Here's the first thing you can do. If you've never given before, I would encourage you to do this. Give for the first time. But if you've never given any, of any capacity of anything to anybody or to any church or any charitable or any nonprofit, I would encourage you to give for the first time. Right? Don't allow money to be a thing that you have to control that has to run your life. But just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't know how you're always going to provide. I might have to kind of spend, on less, of some of, spend less on some of the things that I want or I like. But I'm going to take steps to reorient my heart towards you. If you've never given before, I would encourage you to give for the first time. If you have given, but it's kind of sporadic, it's here or there, your step, I would say, is to plan to give consistently. Right? If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to take steps steps of faith where he can reorient your heart, don't let your giving be, giving be sporadic. Let it be consistent. And it could be 1%. Just give 1%. It could be 2%. I would submit to you a small consistencies over time are a much bigger impact than trying to do like these big amounts every once in a while or randomly, right? You want to reorient our heart. So if you don't give consistently, I would encourage you to take a step, a small step, and give consistently, but smallly, uh, something that you can, I know it's a word, but something that you can do to reorient your heart to trust him. And if you do give consistently, again, if you want to grow in our relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to do this, to increase your consistent giving. I think one of the sad things about like this 10% idea that we feel like that's what faithfulness is, is that most people don't give 10%, so you're always living in this idea of guilt. And if you do give 10%, it's like, I checked off this box and I'm done. I don't have to do anything else. But we know following Jesus is not about checking off boxes. It's about growing in a relationship with him. And so if you do give consistency, consistently, one of the ways to grow is to increase your generosity so you can see and experience more of who he is. These are the steps that you and I can take if we seriously want to reorient our hearts in a way that allows us to experience him. And so as I close, here's the reminder. I think here's what Jesus was getting at. If I can put it in modern terms, and that's this. That our money governs our hearts. The other day, the point of the reality of the situation of what we're reading in this situation or in this text is that our money go go uh, governs our hearts. Here's the truth. How we spend our money is the number one indicator of where our heart truly lies. This is according to scripture. So it's not how nice of a person you are. It's not how forgiving you are. It's not how humble you are. Our money is the number one indicator, scripturally speaking, of where our heart lies. Are we generous? Do we care for others? Um, do we try to be intentional and wise in our spending? Not for the sake of checking a box to saying I'm a good and generous person, but for the sake of our hearts. And like always, everything we do is in response to what Christ has done for us. Right? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus gave. 
He gave himself, he gave his life, he gave him his resources, he gave him his time and his talents to demonstrate for us what it looks like to love and to give up his life so that we can taste and see and experience who he is. And so if you want to experience more of Jesus, I say this often as a joke, but it's true. The quickest way to grow your trust in Jesus is to be more generous. Right? That is the quickest way to reorient our heart and to force us to trust him. The number one indicator of where our heart lies is in our generous generosity. Our money governs our heart. And so if we want to take steps of faithfulness of growing closer to him, it starts with acts of obedience. Not because the church needs your money, not because God needs your money, because God wants your heart. And as we are generous, we get to taste and see and experience more of who he is. Listen, if we want this year to be different, even in the midst of financial unknown, potential job loss, or trying to have a new job, or trying to find a new job, being generous is the number one way to experience Jesus, to reduce our anxiety, and to follow him and see what he might do in our life. Our money governs our heart, and Christ came to demonstrate to us the gospel of who he is, and as we take steps, we can experience more of his grace. Let's pray.